Hey guys, this is Tim with Decoding Panels right here on the Codex Station. Be sure to hit the subscribe button and notification bell so you know when we've got this and other great stories coming your way along with new episodes of the Codex Podcast, Breaking the Code, One Shots, Mail Call, and more. Alright, ready? Sit back, relax, and let's do this. Welcome back to another episode of Decoding Panels. We have brought you full stories of Batman, White Knight, Punisher, Circle of Blood, Dark Ages, and Deceased. And today we bring you, quite possibly, one of the greatest X-Men stories ever told. The Phoenix Saga. The credits for this are as follows. Writing goes to Chris Claremont, artwork to Dave Cockrum, inks to Frank Chiaramonti, letters to Jay Costanza, and colors to B. Wilford. You know what it is. You know what it's about. But if you're new here, sit down and get ready, because you're about to go on a journey. Jean Grey, Marvel Girl, as we know and love her at this time, is given the power of the Phoenix, one of the most powerful cosmic entities in the entire Marvel Universe, and all during a time when the X-Men couldn't be more shaken up. New team members, not a lot of trust going around, and everything else needed to help an unstable team grow. I've already said too much. Are you ready? Sit back, relax, and let's do this. We start this epic tale with a prologue, or better yet, the last moments of Jean Grey's life. For the past 20 minutes, she's been using her mutant gift of telepathy to steer the shuttle, which holds her teammates through the worst cosmic storm in recorded history. It's a gamble, for sure, to even have her friends survive this. But what about her? The shuttle showed up out of nowhere on radar, traveling at breakneck speed. Air traffic is cleared from its path, people trying so desperately to make contact. There was no time. One minute, it's out to sea. The next, screaming overpopulated areas. Whoever is piloting it, desperately trying to hold it together. But it was in vain. With the spikes in radiation from the storm, they knew Jean Grey was as good as gone. And so were they. But then, they were here. Back on Earth, somebody flying the shuttle. They thought they had made it, until the landing. The landing will be over soon. Fuel, wreckage, chaos spreads over the runway as the shuttle skids toward the bay. Through the safety net and three hard skips across the water before it begins the long sink to the bottom. An oil slick is all that remains, and things could end here, but the X-Men are not easy to kill. Cyclops is the first to come up for air, the rest not far behind him, except for Jean, the woman who brought them down. Cyclops tries desperately to go after her, but Nightcrawler holds him fast. But wait, something's happening. Look, over there, where the shuttle went down. The water begins to burn with fire, and then an explosion. No longer is she the woman they knew. She is fire and life. Out of the ashes comes a phoenix. But her mind, it burns. 
memories, pain, tearing her apart. She comes down to the water as brightly as she rose, Scott holding her head above the waterline. Scott's concerns are evident. She might not make it. There are more questions than answers right now, but Jean is alive, and they'll settle for that. They make themselves less conspicuous as help arrives. They slip away, and thankfully nobody notices, thanks to the professor's powers to cloud minds. Nobody will even remember they were there. Wolverine buys flowers for Jean, and even at this early stage, his feelings for her are growing more. But today is not his day, as he sees his teammates and Scott, Jean's love, sitting together, wondering her fate. The flowers go into the trash as Moira and Xavier talk. They speak of him using his powers to heal her, but he can't. Each time he uses them, he's ravaged by dreams and seizures. As much as he wants to, it's just not possible right now. And so, they sit and wait. Scott, however, has gone to be by himself. He contemplates his life with Jean, missed opportunities, before distraction comes in the way of voices on the other side of the door. It's the doctors caring for Jean. Scott jumps, asking how she is, and with a smile, he says she'll make it through just fine. Plenty of rest, mind you, but she'll pull through. The team is ecstatic. Jean's going to make it. As the rest cheer, Scott slips away, his emotions of the past few hours coming out in one massive wave. A friend comes to see, but leaves him to get through this on his own. Xavier collects his X-Men, begging them to calm down before telling them it's time for some much-needed rest. Wolverine will have none of that while Jean is still down, but Xavier commands him to listen. With all that's happened to them over the past few weeks, they all need time away, even Jean if she's to get better. Scott and Xavier will care for her. The rest need a much-deserved break. Banshee requests they retreat to the Cassidy Ancestral Home, a very remote place on the Atlantic coast. Xavier agrees and bids them to some much-needed rest. They leave on a cross-Atlantic flight to Dublin, where they begin to de-stress and wind down. After a week of sightseeing, the X-Men are starting to enjoy themselves again. The road is bumpy and some of the X-Men fun is beginning to wear off. They have arrived. Cassidy Keep, built over a thousand years ago to defend against Viking raiders, rebuilt hundreds of times since then, repelling invaders, standing defiant. The X-Men are in awe. The castle has never fallen to a force of arms, but to treachery? That's something else. Someone watches them from the monitors inside, a cousin of Sean Cassidy. He commands someone, Emin O'Donnell, to let them in, let them get comfortable, but not to tell them anything is wrong. Emin denies, and anger is his answer. This person holds lives over Emin's head. How dare he defy him? A hard smack of his stick reminds him who's in charge. Emin agrees, but reluctantly. Is this mysterious man a fool to trust Emin? So long as the family is his to command, he has no fear. Emin is the steward of this house, and he leads the X-Men around, 
but Aurora Monroe grows restless. The walls feel cold, like they're closing in. She'd much rather be outside than in. He tries to lighten the mood as he shows each to their room. Storm settles in as much as she can, but she knows what she needs to calm her nerves. A summer shower will do quite nicely right now, and so she commands it. But it can't last forever. Dinner will be served soon, and she must attend. Kurt Wagner, the nightcrawler, appears in her room. He's here to escort her to dinner. Playing with his image inducer, that which keeps his true form hidden from unwanted eyes, he helps Storm to relax. She reveals her evening wear, and Kurt is awestruck. Arm in arm, they head downstairs. With Sean Cassidy, he gets ready for dinner also, but something just doesn't feel right. Emin froze up when Sean mentioned family to him. That's something he'll investigate later. For now, Colossus and Wolverine come in, dressed to the nines. It's a formal affair, after all. Small tensions rise, but things are mostly playful as the team makes their way to the dinner table. But then, the floor opens from under them. It's a trap! The team immediately gets into costume, ready for anything. The X-Men are greeted by their host, who is none other than Black Tom Cassidy, and someone else is with him. Someone the X-Men know quite well. The Juggernaut. Together, they'll do what nobody else could claim. They're going to kill the X-Men. Is that supposed to scare them? No, of course not. But Black Tom reminds them exactly where they are. In the dungeons of Cassidy Keep. The dungeons. Underground. No. No! This is too much for Storm. Her claustrophobia takes hold of her as she screams. They call themselves the X-Men, eh? Well, who among them will stop the Juggernaut? Black Tom Cassidy and Juggernaut are treating the X-Men like the newly formed team they are and wiping the floor with them. Banshee rushes his cousin, but in this moment of combat, he forgets that he's immune to his scream. The other times the X-Men faced the unstoppable. It was Jean Grey and Professor X who stopped him with their combined mental powers. They don't stand a chance against the Juggernaut, but maybe, just maybe, a good old-fashioned fist to the face is something Black Tom won't forget. Nightcrawler dodges a cement-crushing fist as Colossus tries to figure out what has stormed down for the count. Colossus' distraction with concern could be the team's downfall, and Wolverine reminds him of that. They argue as Nightcrawler is dispatched from across the room. Wolverine has had enough. Taking Colossus by the arm, he throws him right into the juggernaut. Colossus is none too happy with Wolverine. Coming between him and his friends, by all he holds dear, he and Wolverine will fight here and now. Someone else likes that idea very much and takes full advantage of the tension in the ranks of the X-Men. The Juggernaut. Colossus is sent through a wall and it's down to just Wolverine. Nothing can stop the Juggernaut, but where punches and kicks may have failed, Wolverine's adamantium claws may just do the trick. He attacks. 
The attack is just, but it does not work. Juggernaut's punch connects and sends Wolverine well to the other side of the room. Nightcrawler knows, collectively, they can't beat him, but out of them all, Storm has the best shot. She's still out of commission, though, her claustrophobia taking full control of her at the moment. A fist from the unstoppable comes close, so close, to connecting and ending Nightcrawler. He knows he can't evade him forever. In order to beat the Juggernaut, they have to outthink him. Juggernaut's attention is to the defenseless Storm, and as he pulls her up, ready to finish her off, Nightcrawler puts himself right back into the fight, distracting Juggernaut and giving her a few precious seconds. She uses those seconds to fight with herself. Why won't she help them? She can't. Her friends call out to her. They need her. No, she screams, and with doing so, unlocks some long-forgotten memories. A six-month-old Aurora Monroe is loved by her mother and father in New York City. They know she's special. They knew it from the start. Jump ahead five years to 1956 in the Suez War. The bombers are hitting targets too close for comfort, and they attempt to flee toward the American embassy in Cairo, where they are now. But as they try to flee to safety, a bomber is hit by flak in the sky. The pilot ejects, but the falling bomber is heading right for them. It has a full load of bombs as it heads for them and hits. The house is destroyed, and as Aurora comes to, she is confronted with her worst nightmare. She is trapped, deep in the rubble, and sees the lifeless hand of her mother. She screams. Darkness came to her again before she was able to pull herself free. She escaped and haunted the back alleys of towns and cities for a while, just trying to survive until she was found by some ruffians working for Ahmed El-Gabar. They took her in and Ahmed trained her. After a while, she became the best thief in all of Cairo. But that was not enough for her. When she was 12, she left, walking thousands of miles to the Serengeti Plains. Here, she finally felt like she had come home. There she stayed until one Professor Xavier found her and led her to the X-Men. And, a world away, Xavier stirs, his powers picking up a faint call of his name. Who could it be? Storm! Images from her mind flood into his, and he can now see what his X-Men are going through, and who they fight. Xavier calls to Scott, asking to speak with him privately, and Jean takes this time to quickly introduce her New York roommate, Misty Knight. Xavier is less than polite. We know why, but Jean doesn't as she apologizes for Xavier's rudeness. Misty knows something's different about Jean, and she offers her help. Jean replies by revealing just a small portion of her new powers and asks the question, How would you feel if you died, then brought yourself back to life? In another room, Professor X demands Scott leave now to go help the team in any way he can, but Scott refuses. He's not going anywhere. Jean is the only thing that's important to him. Even if he reached the X-Men as quickly as possible, he wouldn't be able to do anything that would really help. Xavier cannot believe this. He took Scott in, gave him what he has now. How ungrateful! He'd let his teammates perish over Jean Grey? 
Yes, he would. The new team needs to figure this out on their own. As tensions rise, Xavier stops. Something is entering his mind. It's the face from his dreams. Back to the battle, things have gone from bad to worse. Nightcrawler evades another ground-crushing punch from the Juggernaut. But how long can he keep this up? Storm is out. Colossus is down. Banshee and Black Tom are in their own battle. It's down to him and Wolverine. Wolverine tries, but is dispatched once again by the Juggernaut. Death may be coming for the Canadian, but Nightcrawler is far from out of this fight. His tail wraps around the chandelier, and he swings. Grabbing a cauldron of hot embers, Nightcrawler smashes them right into the Juggernaut's face. It works. He's hurt. Black Tom sees this, and though Banshee may be immune to his powers, Nightcrawler is not. Black Tom makes Nightcrawler pay for causing pain to the Unstoppable, and hits him hard with a bolt from his cane. The Nightcrawler is down, hitting the ground hard. He does not get back up. As we wonder about the fate of Kurt Wagner, two mysterious individuals find him and take him away. What will become of him? We'll have to figure that out later. Right now, the rest of the team is in dire straits. Banshee is fighting back, and it seems he may finally have Black Tom Cassidy on the ropes. But Black Tom is disappointed. Where's the Interpol agent who sent him to prison so long ago? You're not asking any questions, Sean. Even the obvious ones. Like, who freed Black Tom and hired him and Juggernaut to kill the X-Men? Pity Banshee may never find out as he gets the wind knocked right out of him by a well-placed cane to the stomach. True, the unexpected arrival of the X-Men has forced some things to be put ahead of schedule, but the end result is the same. The X-Men are down. That's not good enough for Juggernaut. He won't stop until Xavier is dead at his feet, but that will not happen. Why? He must get through Colossus first, and he will not be beaten so easily. Colossus screams for him to get back to his feet. He's not finished with him. Juggernaut is more than happy to oblige. See, Colossus just doesn't get it. Juggernaut is unstoppable. Knock him down once, he'll get right back up again. And again, stronger than before. The battle peaks as Colossus hurls himself into the Juggernaut and right through a support wall. Bad move, as the wall begins to collapse on both of them. Storm screams his name, but it may be too late. Colossus is down. Power is all that can really stop the unstoppable, and Storm tries desperately to muster up what she can, but it's no use. Her claustrophobia has drained her, and the bolt of electricity is directed right back at her by the juggernaut. Xavier is all that matters now. He keeps a psychic link with his students, and he knows they're in pain. If you hurt them bad enough, Xavier will walk right into their trap and to his doom. Inside the walls of Cassidy Keep, a group of very small individuals are taking Nightcrawler somewhere. The castle has grown quiet, which can only mean the X-Men have been defeated by Black Tom Cassidy and the Juggernaut. They're as good as dead, but maybe not. 
these very vocal individuals have managed to save Nightcrawler, so there could be a chance for the rest. What was supposed to be a vacation for the X-Men turned into a fierce battle that they lost. Nightcrawler begins to stir, and when he comes to, he thinks the battle still rages on. Swinging wildly, he almost hits his saviors. Standing back, he's surprised to see how small they actually are and the pointed ears they have. He must be dreaming. What these people are can't be possible. Leprechauns. But the battle. His friends. What's happened to them? Emin O'Donnell tells him they've been captured. He tells Kurt his friends are in grave danger. Black Tom tricked his way into the castle, and bringing Juggernaut with him, well, we can all guess the result of that. Most of the Leprechaun's families were taken prisoner, and Emin was able to figure out that Black Tom was not the one in charge. He was taking orders from a red-armored individual. But who could it be? Emin tried to get a warning out, but to no avail. Nightcrawler may know who this villain could be, but right now, the rescue of his friends is more important. But wait, one of the leprechauns saw Nightcrawler turn invisible in shadow. Kurt disagrees. He doesn't have that ability. To prove that point, he puts his hand inside the shadow, and it disappears. Amazing! He tries with his whole body, and the same thing happens. As he starts to explore this new power, someone comes running. The X-Men are in Black Tom's laboratory. They're going to be tortured. Tell him where it is. Quick! Emin leads the way and Nightcrawler asks about the state of his friends. Black Tom has them neutralized and is going right to work on Colossus. Juggernaut is none too happy that Nightcrawler escaped, but Black Tom reassures him he means nothing and can do nothing against them. Black Tom activates his Neuronic Tangler Glove, but Juggernaut doesn't need anything fancy when a fist will do. No, Juggernaut, this time, brute force isn't what's needed. Juggernaut would just kill the X-Men long before they've served the needs of Black Tom, but Tom's way affects the mind, making for a much longer experience. Yes, Xavier will come even sooner and beg Black Tom to kill his students. Nightcrawler has an idea. If it's the professor they want, he will bring him to them. Using a device of his own, Nightcrawler bamps right into the fire, so to speak. He appears as Xavier, just as they wanted. But that's not all they asked for. Xavier's life is the prize, and Juggernaut aims to collect. Nightcrawler, or Xavier at this moment, effortlessly dodges. Black Tom instantly knows something isn't right, but before he can convince Juggernaut, he's taken out very quickly by two feet to the chest. That's partial payment for what he did to Nightcrawler. More leaps and bounds as Nightcrawler toys with the two villains. Juggernaut is finally starting to figure things out. This isn't his hated stepbrother. No, this must be Nightcrawler. Rage takes over as his brute force makes a rather large hole in the side of the keep. In doing so, Storm can now see the sky. Her claustrophobia begins to subside, its hold on her weakening as her resolve grows more and more, like the wind now blowing through the laboratory. It's a hurricane! 
The X-Men are being taken out of this torture chamber, but not Banshee. He's grabbed by the Juggernaut as the remaining team members escape. Storm is free. Colossus and Wolverine are dropped as Storm shows her delight above them. Some tensions remain between the two on the ground, however. Page 10. Meanwhile, back in what's left of Black Tom's lab, the leprechauns that call Cassidy keep home are watching as Black Tom, Cassidy, and Juggernaut argue. The only real good thing to come out of all of this so far? Banshee's capture. The leprechauns move on, only to discover Nightcrawler in the rubble. Outside, Colossus attempts to remove the remaining restraints on Wolverine, but with no success. Storm offers her help, but Wolverine is skeptical. Storm reminds him that for a time, she was the greatest lockpick in all of Cairo. Winds begin to blow once more. Back to Black Tom and Juggy. They've made it to the top of the castle, and though Juggernaut isn't quite sure what they're doing up here, Black Tom certainly does. From the top of the keep, he yells down to the X-Men below. Surrender, or Banshee will be sent down to you in pieces. Wolverine knows Black Tom holds all the cards right now, but Nightcrawler is still inside. If a fight is what Black Tom wants, then it's a fight he'll get. X-Men style. Wolverine yells for Storm to come back with some colorful words. He and Colossus can't fly. Colossus is just about finished with the way Wolverine talks to Storm, so an impromptu fastball special is put into effect. Happy landings, Wolvie. Colossus, however, must climb the wall the hard way. Doing so leaves him vulnerable to attack, and Juggernaut is very happy about this. Energy blasters built into the keep's walls immediately fire on Storm. She dodges, no thanks to her intense training in the danger room. Colossus is in immediate danger, but she can't break free to help him until these turrets are toast. He's holding his own, for now. Moments ago, the night had been calm, but with Storm's attack, the weather patterns have changed for miles around, creating a storm not seen in recent memory. Colossus's throw put Wolverine clear on the other side of the keep. He's no help to his friends now, but a leprechaun by the name of Podryak may be able to help. Wolverine is either in or out. It's up to him at this point. Storm continues to evade boulders and lasers, but that won't last for long. The targeting system is learning her patterns. It's only a matter of time. Banshee can only stand and watch, but maybe not. Nightcrawler breaks the rope holding him fast, and with just as much quickness, the device keeping him quiet is broken. Black Tom knows this can't be good. Juggernaut charges, but with Banshee's sonic scream, he can't go any further without a floor. Into the keep he crashes, and the X-Men are ready for round two. Black Tom takes this time to run, but Banshee is close behind. Play the hero, Banshee. Go into his trap. The door swings open and an axe hits the ground right where Banshee was mere seconds before. The two cousins' powers cancel each other out, so it's down to a duel. To the death. 
Sword and axe clash, with Black Tom striking what could be a finishing blow. A wall collapses as Juggernaut and the X-Men's own battle spills into this death duel. Banshee's sword is broken, and as Black Tom readies himself to finish this once and for all, Banshee takes the only chance he has. With both legs, he lifts and sends his cousin plummeting to the bottom of the cliff, to the rocks below. If only it didn't have to end this way. Juggernaut sees this and screams Black Tom's name. Plowing through the X-Men, he dives in after him. In an instant, he and Black Tom are gone. But for how long? Only time will tell. Storm calms the raging weather, and for the moment, it seems the battle is over. For the moment. Our mysterious villain talks to another. Princess Nurmirani will reach Earth in a few weeks. She must not contact the X-Men. Oh, that won't be a problem with who our red-helmed friend has in mind to stop them. None other than Magneto. On the coast of Scotland, on a beautiful Monday morning, things are not going as the X-Men would like them to be. Sean Cassidy, Banshee, is having heated words with the owner of a hovercraft. The craft will not go out into the water, regardless of any signed agreement the owner and Banshee may have had before. The owner signed an agreement with Moira McTaggart, not these costumed freaks. No, he'll keep the money, and the lot of them can get off his dock. Colossus has other ideas. If he keeps the money, it's only fair they use the boat. Moments later, the boat and the X-Men take off. Their destination is Moira's own island. She left it in the care of Jamie Madrox, and he hasn't been heard from recently. Their mission is to check things out. But as they get closer, it appears that more is afoot at the mountain than they could imagine, just as their metal hovercraft comes apart at the seams. Minutes later, they wash up on shore. Banshee does a head count and all are accounted for, if a little wetter and colder. They go over the events. The hovercraft exploded, but it seemed as if it came alive and literally tore itself apart. Either way, this was an attack. They discover Moira McTaggart's laboratory, and Banshee puts Colossus on point. As he begins to move closer, Colossus is stopped by something. As his teammates check on him, they discover that the laboratory is protected by a force field. They're sitting ducks, but they have very little time to think about this, as the section of beach they're on is lifted and sent rocketing toward the side of the structure. At this rate, when they hit, they'll be finished, unless with the team's combined might, they can punch a hole into the side of the building and somehow survive. They break through, and just at the right moment, too. If they had been going any faster, or the wall were just inches thicker. As they collect themselves, Banshee is beginning to see a pattern in these attacks. They seem familiar, but the only person that could possibly do these things is... Closer than he thinks. The metal of a sealed door grows red-hot, then white before the heat becomes so intense it crystallizes and explodes. The X-Men run for cover. 
Who is this man welcoming them to what will become their graves? Their combined powers and skills couldn't possibly be enough to save them. He is the X-Men's oldest, deadliest foe. One of the most powerful mutants on the face of the planet. He is Magneto. Let's cut to the outside of the laboratory. We'll get back to the battle soon enough. Here, the Blackbird lands, and on board are one Scott Summers, a.k.a. Cyclops, and Moira McTaggart, owner of this island. Scott is none too happy, as this is the first he's ever hearing of this place. The two argue over the ethical uses for this lab before Moira spots someone laying in the shadows. It's Jamie Madrix. No, what has she done, he says. They've sent the X-Men here to their deaths. He explains what happened. He was ambushed by Havoc, Polaris, and Eric the Red, a red-helmed villain from previous issues. Magneto had reverted to a child's form in the recent past, but Eric the Red had other plans. With a mysterious ray, Magneto, in seconds, was full-grown. The two discussed options. Magneto wanted revenge. Scott knows what this means. Magneto, with the ray that aged him, is at the peak of his powers. The original X-Men could have taken him down, but not this new team. They don't stand a chance against the Master of Magnetism. Meanwhile, the battle has begun. Thanks to Eric the Red, Magneto knows who each and every one of the new members are. They're in serious need of a lesson in respect for their betters. A lesson Magneto is more than happy to teach. Wolverine is dispatched easily enough. His skeleton is metal, and with minimal will, Magneto sends him into the wall. Colossus is just as easy to remove. His organic steel is no match for Magneto's command over all things metal, and he is removed from the battle as well. Magneto has never been more sure of himself. Storm knows he's just toying with them, testing their limits, and she couldn't be more right. If it's a test he wants, Storm will give it to him. She commands the power of a hurricane, lightning and all, but an interference field from Magneto sends those bolts right back at her. Another X-Man down. Colossus, however, is not out of this fight just yet. He knows that his organic steel body is no match for Magneto, but he must try. Tearing a piece of metal from the damaged room, he tosses it. It's his last shot, but not good enough. Magneto dispatches it easily enough. This time, Colossus is removed from the entire building. With but a gesture, he's sent into the cold depths of the water. Back inside, Nightcrawler can only evade, but with Magneto's complete control over the magnetic field, he can sense disruptions in it and knows where Nightcrawler will be even before the Blue Elf does. Debris entombs him. Banshee is all that's left. The Master of Magnetism may be able to take him out whenever he wishes, but he can do it with no ground to stand on? Banshee's sonic scream destroys the floor beneath Magneto, and, for a second, Banshee may have won the day before Magneto rises and attacks. Banshee continues to taunt, but that won't be enough. He has to keep Magneto distracted until the rest of the team can get back in this fight. It's all for naught. 
Magneto can pull metallic particles from the air around him, and he does exactly this, encasing Banshee inside a metallic coffin, form-fitted for the X-Man himself. This team was stronger than the original, but Magneto remains victorious. But wait! An optic blast screamed towards Magneto, and he's just able to get his shield up in time to protect himself. It's Cyclops. Magneto is stunned, but it can't last long. Cyclops knows there's not much time left, and with Eric the Red involved, there has to be more here than Magneto taking on just the X-Men. Cyclops should have seen the pattern sooner. From what Banshee's told him so far, Xavier's in far more danger than they are at the moment. Scott finds Nightcrawler and tells him to find the others as he frees Banshee from his metallic prison. Storm arrives and is confused. Why are they ordered to the plane when the fight with Magneto still continues? Wolverine agrees. This fight ain't over. According to Scott, it is. He's the leader of this team, and if Wolverine can't get that, he'll blast him with an optic beam and drag him out of here. Reluctantly, Wolverine agrees, and they head toward their retreat. Colossus joins his teammates, and soon they're airborne. Cyclops lets the team in on all he knows as they speed back to New York. Eric the Red has been trying to get to Xavier all this time. First at Kennedy Airport, then Cassidy Keep, and now with Magneto back stronger than ever, keeping the X-Men occupied, Xavier is in danger now more than ever before. Wolverine doesn't like to cut and run. He thinks Scott's made the X-Men into cowards. He won't forget that anytime soon. Magneto, however, is left alone, but triumphant. As he leaves, the beginnings of another story arc start to take place, but that is for another time. Across the universe, on board the ship called Starjammer, two associates talk of a dimensional gate and the end of everything. At another important event, a princess is under attack. A sister is trying to stop her mad brother's plans. Will she make it in time? And last, Eric the Red watches his monitors, seeing events unfold in the house of Xavier. Everything is falling into motion. Soon, a princess will be his, and Xavier and the X-Men will be no more. On a private airfield in Westchester, New York, Eric the Red attacks. Cyclops gives the order, and the team rushes in with pleasure. The day of reckoning for Eric the Red is at hand, and the team works in wonderful unison, but someone else watches from afar. Wolverine attacks as Eric begs them to stop. He comes in peace. This mystery guest has had enough, and he ends the attack on Eric quickly. He is Fire Lord, former Herald of Galactus, and they will harm Eric the Red no more. Fire Lord moves in, hitting Cyclops and Colossus with a small taste of what his powers are capable of. Nightcrawler is next on his list, and he attempts to distract Fire Lord, giving the X-Men precious seconds to recover and regroup. But Fire Lord has no time for these theatrics. Nightcrawler is hit, and Banshee saves our blue-skinned friend from further harm. Storm is on the attack now. Nightcrawler tries to tell her that Fire Lord's power is too much for her, but she doesn't listen. Fire Lord has had enough. 
Raging energy shoots from his eyes, and the remaining X-Men are rendered unconscious. The entire battle took less than a minute. Fire Lord goes to Eric, making sure he's unharmed, which he is. The X-Men are lucky to be alive against the likes of Fire Lord, and a lesson had to be taught to them. Eric is lucky to be alive. The X-Men would have killed him without a second thought, if not for Fire Lord's interference. Of course, we know Eric is lying, but Fire Lord does not. As unexpected as Fire Lord's entrance was, Eric was quick to prepare in no time. Eric used Havoc and Polaris as pawns in his scheme. Fire Lord came in peace, but when Havoc and Polaris attacked, Fire Lord responded. With the two mutants out of commission, and us now back to the present, Fire Lord asks why Eric was attacked so harshly. Eric is but a mere explorer, and he feeds Fire Lord more lies, telling him the X-Men want to control this world. Fire Lord's trust didn't come quickly, though, having been deceived on Earth previously, but it seems to have worked this time. Though the X-Men may be down, their leader remains, and Fire Lord swears he will take down Professor X. Meanwhile, in the outer reaches of space, one ship pursues another. Lalandra, former Grand Admiral of the Shi'ar Empire, is running out of time. Her brother has dispatched his greatest captain, who also fought alongside Lalandra, to take her down. He now has her in his sights. He asks for a status report, and is told they're nearing a Class M planet. The Prime Directive holds no weight here, as he tells his officers to remain within firing range. Something concerning is revealed, however. It appears that this planet has beaten back Galactus, not once, but four times in recent history. How can this be? He immediately alters course. A full scan is ordered. If this primitive planet can hold off the Eater of Worlds, their power must be something to rival the Empire itself. But, before they leave, a burst of torpedoes is fired at Lalandra's ship. She manages to escape, but barely before her ship is destroyed. However, down on Earth, Xavier is meeting with Jean Grey's parents, along with Misty Knight, Jean's current roommate in New York City. Finger food and tea is served, but there's no time to enjoy it. A being materializes in the middle of the room. Xavier can see it, and everyone else can too. He's now confronted with a face from his nightmares. Lalandra. She says something in her language before collapsing to the floor. Jean and Misty take her to a couch where she can recover, but she's not given much time at all. The wall to Jean and Misty's flat explodes, and Fire Lord stands in the rubble. He has come for Lalandra and Xavier. Anyone who stands in his way does so at their own peril. Fire Lord doesn't realize the mistake he's just made. Jean powers up her Phoenix powers and sends this intruder right back out the hole he created. Only the likes of Thor could have caused Fire Lord even an ounce of pain, but the power of Galactus himself won't keep Fire Lord from Xavier. He returns to the fight, and Jean advances. The powers she now has are still very new to her, as she feels it surge through her like nothing she's ever felt before.
Fire Lord knows Xavier wants to conquer this world, his X-Men leading the charge, but Jean knows better. That's crazy. But if it's a fight he wants, he'll get one. She unleashes her power, both to her surprise and Fire Lord's. It's savage, tossing him into a park below as he is attacked again, this time with more. The crowd runs, and as Phoenix and Fire Lord continue their battle, Eric the Red takes this opportunity to make his move against Xavier. Fire Lord, however, is finished with this fight. His is the power cosmic, and no living being can survive it. He blasts Jean with all he has. Back in the apartment, Jean's parents watch the fight continue while Xavier attempts to communicate with Lalandra. Eric is here, and though Misty tries to stop him, she's no match. He's here for the princess, and he's taking her back home to die. Eric's stun blast has taken down everyone in the apartment, and minutes later, he's constructed his Stargate to flee this miserable place with his prize. Little does he know, the X-Men are here to prevent that. Storm and Banshee attack from the air, the rest inside the hovercraft. Eric disables the craft, the ground team of the X-Men left with only one option. Bail out, before it explodes. Jean and Fire Lord continue, but Jean is ready to end this. With a gesture, she pours the power of the sun onto her foe, launching him miles away. Xavier contacts her mentally, telling her to come back. More is at stake. She does so, but can't fight off the feeling of going after Fire Lord to finish him once and for all. She knows something is different. Will she be able to control it? That will be unanswered for now as she and the X-Men close in on the apartment from opposite sides. Nightcrawler, however, is heading somewhere different. When he jumped from the hovercraft, he saw Eric's Stargate. As he moves in for a closer look, he sees Eric the Red with Lalandra. He's making his escape. Nightcrawler tries to save her, but he's seconds behind as the Stargate closes. Xavier screams a curse to Eric the Red as his X-Men begin to arrive. Jean's parents are concerned, but there's no time to explain. Yes, there is, Xavier shouts. Jean recalls what Xavier told her, of Lalandra coming here from leading a revolt to stop her brother from doing something destructive to the universe. She lost and came to the Earth for the X-Men's help. Eric is an agent of the Shi'ar and his job is finished. Either capture Lalandra or kill the X-Men, and we now know which option he collected on. There is still a chance to save her, however, as the raw power of the Phoenix can reopen the Stargate. Jean does this as the team leaps in without question, though Scott is beginning to notice the changes in Jean. Jean needs to go with her friends. She has to keep them out of trouble. As she leaps through the Stargate, her parents call after her, but it closes. They want an explanation, and now... What has Xavier done with their daughter? Xavier can only say what he feels, and he believes he sent his beloved X-Men to their deaths. There is no time to mourn this thought as Fire Lord returns. He demands to know where the Phoenix is. Their battle is far from over. She's where he'll never find her, and if his anger means the Earth is destroyed, so be it. 
But if the X-Men fail, the universe will be next. Everything began with a dream, or moreover, a cry for help that crossed the vastness of the universe, deep into Charles Xavier's psyche. Firelord demands to know where Phoenix is, but Xavier tells him it's too late. They're far away, on a mission to save the universe itself from total destruction. Xavier's dream manifested into Lalandra, but their connection has yet to be revealed. She begged him to help her, but she was captured by Eric the Red. Firelord was here to defeat the X-Men, but they went after Eric through the Stargate. With Lalandra gone, Xavier's mind returns its attack on him. It's as if his soul is on fire, trying to get out. The nightmares have returned. Firelord is confused. Xavier cried out. Is he hurt? Misty Knight lets him know in no uncertain terms that he has no right to information about any of the X-Men. Xavier's dream, however, has gone feverish. He thinks Misty is Moira and begs for her help. He can't tell the difference between reality and these twisted nightmares, so his mind reverts back to when Moira arrived weeks ago. Moira leaves Xavier to Cerebro, and she turns her attention to the X-Men. Wolverine and Colossus train in the danger room. Wolvie's focus so intense he doesn't see a steel beam coming right down on top of him. Colossus rushes and in the nick of time pushes him out of the way. The steel beam is no match for Colossus or his nobility. Wolverine is having none of this, however. Nobody cramps his style. Let's see if that skin can stand up to some adamantium claws. Something dangerous is about to happen, but it's stopped by Cyclops' optic beams. Those claws better be sheathed, or the next one goes down his throat. Wolverine's tough guy shtick is no act, though, and he lets Cyclops know exactly that. They're on edge, pushed hard since the death of Thunderbird. There's nothing like the old team, and the reason they're this way is because of Cyclops. Banshee stands behind this. They're nothing like the old team, but they do have promise. Banshee continues, saying that if they're given a chance, maybe they just might impress Scott. He agrees, and though an apology is given, Wolverine continues to press. If he can't handle leading, then maybe he should leave. Storm puts a stop to all this, giving Wolverine the same ultimatum. However, as tensions between the new team continue to rise, Another familiar voice makes his presence known, none other than Warren Worthington III, Angel. Angel isn't here for a reunion, he's here to sling insults. That doesn't make sense, and as Cyclops is pulled from the ground, Beast is here to continue the barrage. Let's not forget Iceman and Marvel Girl, also coming from nowhere to remind these new team members that they have no chance of keeping the name X-Man. Some of the new team, however, are seeing that things are just not adding up. The barrage continues, new on one side, old on the other. None of these new members cut it. They're all freaks, and they need to go now. Tensions have reached a boiling point as Wolverine attempts to attack, but is pulled away by Nightcrawler. This brings Beast in, giving Nightcrawler a stern reminder to let Wolverine fight his own battles. Cyclops has had enough. As he tries to make sense of all this, Angel adds another twist. Cyclops rise to the top, 
of the Danger Room. Happy landing, Scott. Don't worry, though. Banshee's got you. Whatever is going on, this fight is very real. These original X-Men want the new dead, plain and simple. Marvel Girl attacks Storm with lasers and stun shells, but she is no easy target. She's the mistress of the weather, and command it she does as she launches her own counterattack. Wolverine knows something isn't right. His senses tell him so. It's like Iceman is here, but he isn't. Wolverine's moment of pause might just cost him. Iceman begins to seal him in, and Wolverine is fast losing air. But a clawed hand is free, and he uses it to knock Iceman down a peg or two as he breaks himself free. As he closes in on Iceman, let's move over to Scott and Banshee. Banshee takes off, ready to confront Angel, but Scott knows better. The old team is fighting as a team, while the new X-Men are relying on raw power to win. Scott knows how this could turn out. Case in point, Banshee rushes in. He doesn't know what could possibly turn what he thought were his friends against him, but they won't go down without a fight. Angel, of course, is ready and overtakes Banshee easily, beating him with wings and fist. Banshee isn't without abilities of his own, as we already know, and he unleashes his sonic scream. The scream does its job and rocks Angel out of the sky. As he falls, Scott is there to catch him if need be, but it was all a ruse. Angel expected this to happen, and Earplug saved him long enough to lure Scott into this trap. Colossus takes the charge now, trying to save Scott from the grip of Angel, but he fails as well. Angel removes Scott's visor and hits Colossus with a full optic blast. The beam is continuous, and Colossus knows this. In a very short amount of time, the beam will take him out. Scott Summers, however, has finally had enough. Things are starting to connect, and he knows whoever these original X-Men claim to be, they are not the real deal. The battle continues with Beast and Nightcrawler, and Beast likes to beat his opponents with finesse. A dive and flip gives Nightcrawler no time to teleport or dodge. He's grabbed and tossed with a pinched nerve to help send him to his doom. Colossus is there, no longer under the heat of Cyclops' optic blast. And speaking of Cyclops, more and more of this mysterious puzzle is starting to fit together. And if he's right, they're fighting a lost cause. He just has to find his visor and get back in there. The X-Men need him. Nightcrawler is caught by Colossus, and though he cannot yet teleport, Colossus is more than happy to send him back to Beast, fastball special style. Beast thinks Nightcrawler is a glutton for punishment. He doesn't know when to quit. On the contrary, Beast, you should have never begun. Scott lets out the truth. They've been fighting images all along. Yes, Scott, you have, but these images are also very real and very deadly. They'll never quit, never tire, and never stop until this new team is dead. Scott just can't figure out who or what is creating them, or stop them, but Professor X can. He created both teams, and he will put an end to this now. Xavier is trying to fight off the effects of the sedatives, trying to keep himself awake as he stops the fight that he created. 
the very real images of the old team are gone, and as they disappear, laughter can be heard in the background. Who could that be? An evil, very deadly version of Xavier, it would seem. One who claims to be the X-Men's greatest foe. Someone they've faced before? An entirely new villain? We won't have time to figure that out as Cyclops atomizes whoever this is. Or so we thought. How could they possibly hope to hurt someone that isn't there? Well, Wolvie can see you, and that means he can cut you. He rushes headlong, but the floor is forced open, and Wolverine plunges headfirst into a bottomless pit. Not so fast, as Colossus catches him in the nick of time. Wolverine's senses are going crazy. Part of him says that this is all an illusion. None of this is real. Another part of him says this is very real and very dangerous. Xavier confirms that both are true, that this is an illusion, but giving in to the illusion can lead to death. With Xavier more in control of his mind, dispatching the evil version of himself is easy enough. The old X-Men should do the trick quite nicely. For a time, Xavier thought he was going mad, with the visions and nightmares controlling his mind. For a time, it would seem that way, but he now knows it's been a separation of two minds, so alike, yet so alien. He is at peace now, but how long will that last? If his X-Men are defeated, it could be measured in hours. A moment ago, the X-Men had been on Earth. The world they now stand on is nearly as old as time itself. Its cities lay dormant, untouched since before the dawn of man. Now, the X-Men and their new foes stand on the brink of war, and the winner holds the fate of the universe in their hands. The X-Men were brought here by the Phoenix, and even Cyclops doesn't think she knows the hows and whys of that. Regardless, both sides are ready to fight and defend their reasons for being here. Strangely, the X-Men can understand these beings' words, so Cyclops gets right to the point. They are the X-Men, and they're here for Lilandra and Eric the Red. Not so fast. One of the beings steps forward. He is Gladiator, Praetor of the Imperial Guard. Lalandra is a traitor and will face her crimes. They will not give her up. If that's the case, so be it. Cyclops unleashes an optic blast, taking one of the guards out. The rest attack. The war has begun. Storm calls to Banshee, leading him up into the sky. They work together, scattering the ground forces, keeping them off balance. Jean Grey is down, the use of the Phoenix powers draining her. Scott and Wolverine do what they can on the ground to help Jean. The edge in this fight may belong to the X-Men at the moment, but the Imperial Guard are not without resources. A creature named Hobgoblin is commanded to shift into something monstrous. Colossus rushes in for the attack, but Nightcrawler has a better idea. His image inducer... It's a long shot, but maybe he can create an illusion of this monster and force Hobgoblin to break concentration and revert back to his normal form. It works. A teleport and a punch is all that's needed to take Hobgoblin out. 
Meanwhile, Wolverine has his sights set on one called Oracle. Starbolt, one of the Imperial Guard and the love of Oracle, stops Wolverine's attack with the fury of a solar firestorm. It seems to have worked, nearly burning off Wolvie's skin, but we know that's not enough. It's only made him mad. Oracle laughs, but if any lessons are taught here today, it's that nobody laughs at Wolverine. She is tossed into Starbolt as Wolverine continues to make the odds more even. Furface is next. On the platform above, watching the chaos unfold, Lalandra's brother, the Emperor of the Shi'ar Empire, expresses his glee. She's chosen wonderful champions. A pity they won't succeed. She begs him to stop this madness, but he denies it. Behind him is a crystal that holds the ultimate power, and it will be his. A being materializes behind her. The Soul Drinker. Her fate is all but sealed. Cyclops sees this, but he can't reach her in time, and there's no clear shot for his optic beams. Jean is still out, nowhere near any strength to be of help. Nightcrawler offers his assistance. With a crack of flame and the smell of brimstone, Nightcrawler is by her side. She tells him to flee, but Nightcrawler is a man of his word. He'll save her, and with a break of her chains, she's free. They've worn out their welcome, so it's time to leave. Lalandra, what's the matter with you? You've got to go, now. But she can't. She's frozen in fear, the soul drinker appearing to have some sort of mental lock on her. There's only one chance left to escape and precious few seconds to do it in. He grabs Lalandra and teleports out. The soul drinker's only purpose was to take Lalandra's soul. Instead, it takes one of the Emperor's minions. Nightcrawler and Lalandra appear next to Cyclops and Jean, but barely. He's never teleported another person before, and it nearly killed him. Cyclops, however, wants answers, and he demands Lalandra give them to him. She readily agrees, beginning her tale of how her brother found some ancient force, the deadliest weapon in history. He wanted it for himself, and though she opposed, he had her arrested. Untrue words got out that she had tried to kill her brother and take the throne. The fleet that she had commanded was now split down the middle. Civil war broke out and Lalandra made her escape in a small ship, but it was for naught. Her ships had been beaten. Her cause was lost. Going through the star system is when she connected with Xavier. It was like finding a missing piece of her soul. Instantly, she was bound to him, and he to her. Xavier's power and this connection led her brother to her, and through that he contacted his spy, Eric the Red. His orders were simple. Kill Xavier, or at the very least, prevent her and he from ever making contact. He tried several times to eliminate the X-Men, but failed with each attempt. Only with the unwitting help from Fire Lord was he able to succeed in capturing her, but the power of the Phoenix brought the X-Men here. What has all this been for, though? Power. Pure power. The Macron Crystal is a gateway, opening only once every million years, and when it does, legend says that power absolute can be found inside. Gladiator makes a very good point. 
What right does she have to deny her emperor? She retorts, this goes well above any oath to a madman. Gladiator isn't here to question, but to obey. The emperor wants her and her friends dead. So be it. With the way the fight is going, this may just happen. The X-Men begin to fall back, and Wolverine jumps back into this fight in the threads of Fang, the beast he just defeated. The Imperial Guard are fooled for but a moment before a rather heavy fist connects with Wolverine's jaw. The X-Men are on the run now as the Imperial Guard keeps up the pressure. Gladiator grabs Lilandra, and if Cyclops can just pull the X-Men together, everyone may just make it out alive. The guard in front of him, though, has other plans, and the two take each other out with their optic beams. All seems lost as Gladiator and Lilandra argue. How could she know the Empire must be saved from her brother? She doesn't know much, but what she does know is the force her brother is trying to take for his own is called the end of all that is. A voice from behind her tells her that Gladiator won't listen, but others in the guard are not so thick-headed. Gladiator is hit with a beam and taken out. Who could have done that? Enter a legend. This team has come just in time. Though the fight has started without them, they're here to finish it. They are the Star Jammers. Take cover, Lalandra. They're here to save Lalandra, and as a side, the X-Men as well. Names are exchanged as the tide of battle turns. One moment, the Imperial Guard has all but won. The next, the Starjammers appear to change the course of the fight. In moments, it's all over. This is some of the best fighting Wolverine's ever seen. But, now that they've saved Lalandra, heading back seems to be a necessity. A good idea, Wolvie, but not so easy to do. The battle is far from over. They've earned a respite, sure, but that won't last long. They're all here to stop the Emperor, and it's about time to get to that. Corsair, the Star Jammer's captain, speaks in such a way that isn't normal this far out in space. A quick mind scan reveals something very troubling to Jean. What it is, we'll find out later. For now, the Emperor tells them to do their worst. It won't matter. They're all too late. The Death Stars are beginning to align. The crystal is opening, and Power Absolute will be his. On cue, pure energy pours into the crystal. It begins to pulse more and more, until the energy is so great that the crystal explodes. Reality as we know it blinks out of existence. Moving over to StarCore, its creator, Peter Corbeau, is very frightened, and rightfully so. He and Reed Richards are talking. For a fraction of a second, everything ceases to exist. Neither know what caused this, but what they do know is, if these blinks happen again, or get worse, the universe as we know it will die. The world the X-Men now stand on has had no name. It is as old as time. It has known no war. All that has changed. The X-Men, Starjammers, and Lalandra look on as the sky breaks. They thought they had won this war. Now, they're not so sure. Corsair orders a scan from his ship. They need to know what's happening. 
Cyclops checks on Jean, but Wolverine says what everyone's thinking. It's time to get out of here. But where would they go? How could they hide from something that's called the end of all that is? They can't fight a universe gone mad. The X-Men have been kept out of the loop long enough. It's time Jean and Scott gave the answers they know. From jumping through the Stargate to this very moment, the rest of the team is filled in. Meanwhile, back at StarCore, Peter Corbeau is relaying to the Avengers and the President exactly what happened. The President's advisor disagrees with these findings, though. That doesn't matter. What has happened, happened. Plain and simple. For the briefest of moments, everything just ceased to exist. If it happens again, that could literally be the end of everything. Even the Avengers are helpless. Whatever is causing this is too big, too far away. All they can do is wait. Back to the world with no name. The similarities between Scott and Corsair are, well, uncanny. Jean's mind scan revealed who Corsair really is, but how can she tell Scott? Once again, we'll find that out later. Right now, a small creature reveals itself. His name is Jaff guardian of this gate, and so long as it remains open, no one may approach the crystal and live. Wolverine has better ideas, and that certainly includes muscling his way forward. Scott warns him to be careful, but the warning goes unheeded. With its tiny fist, Jaff sends Wolverine into orbit. Corsair commands the Starjammer to retrieve him. He'll be needed when the time comes. Back on the ground, things are not looking good. Optic blasts have no effect on Jaff, and the X-Men and Star Jammers are being taken down one by one. The Jammers and X-Men mean Jaff no harm. As soon as they can, they'll leave this place. That doesn't matter. They're here, and as per his programming, Jaff must see to it they do not leave alive. Maybe the Phoenix can change his mind. With all she can muster, Jean calls to all the power she can, and snagging a meteor, she brings it down, right on top of Jeff. Jean can feel the power course through her. Part of her is thrilled by it, the other part terrified. Through the dust, Jeff appears completely unharmed. It's Storm's turn. Wind will help them regroup, come up with a plan of attack, but Banshee already has one. This creature said something about programming. Maybe his sonic scream can disrupt that, giving them a chance. He's betting his life on this, and as he gets close, Jeff sees him. He moves quick, grabbing onto Banshee and squeezing. It's like his ribs are turning to powder. He has one shot and lets loose a scream like none he's ever done before. His teammates come running. Banshee is alive and breathing. He'll take it. Did the gamble work? Well, yes, against Jaff. Now they've woken the second guardian of this crystal, Mott. His power is a thousand times that of Jaff, and if he falls, they'll face another a thousand times greater than he. The X-Men and Starjammers attack with all they have. They dodge and evade, each crushing blow from Mott missing them by mere inches. The Emperor has all but claimed victory. He's mad. Insane. The Starjammer calls, letting them know that when this new Guardian appeared, another blink of existence happened. Things are just getting worse. 
This man, this emperor, would risk all life in the universe for power? Raza rushes the emperor, grabs him, and throws him into the crystal. As his body hits, there's a blinding flash of light. It's as if time itself has stopped. And then, the X-Men and Starjammers are somewhere else. A city. Streets. All quiet. No movement, just stale air from thousands of dormant years. Where could this be? One minute they're fighting a giant robot. The next they're in this place. Jean figures it out. Don't you see? They're all inside the crystal. The Guardian's job was to keep people out. But now that they're inside, it has no control over them. Jean moves to the orb in the center. She can feel life and pain. It calls to her. She pulls her hand back. It's transparent. Before she can even react, the orb sends out blood-red light to each of the beings and people here now. Past all their mental defenses, it plunges them into nightmares. Each goes through their own. The Emperor and the Soul Drinker. Nightcrawler being killed by those he calls friends. And Corsair reliving the memory of his murdered wife. And for Jean, hers is death. But something is different. Though there is terror, there is also deja vu. When she brought that space shuttle down to Earth, what seems like an eternity now, she died and was reborn. She has beaten her nightmare. When she died, the fear of death died with her. The orb's final defense is beginning to backfire, but only on some. It works with conscious thought, but Scott's optic beams are on all the time. So long as he's trapped in his own personal hell, he's more deadly than ever. A wild beam shoots Jean, center mass. It should have cut her in half, but it didn't. She has no time to think about the hows and whys. Right now, she needs to stop Scott before he causes any real damage. As Scott fell, his last optic beam hit the orb directly. It's shattering, and whatever is inside will be out soon. What could Jean possibly do to stop this? She senses that her and the orb are bound both losing their grasp on reality at the same time. Any answers she's looking for are inside, and using the power of the phoenix, she enters. The grasp the orb had on her friends is broken, and as they try to figure things out, Jean is doing the same. She doesn't know what she is now, but she has never felt more alive. Moving further into the orb, she comes to what no living being in all the universe could ever hope to see let alone describe. A neutron galaxy. Even with all this power and beauty before her, she can sense that it is alive and dying. In her mind's eye, she sees the possibility of things to come. If this neutron galaxy breaks free, it will pull more and more mass to itself. Planets, stars, the universe, until reality begins to tear itself apart. Is this not power absolute? It is, and with the death of one universe, another will be created in its place. Though all will be lost, a new reality will form from the ashes of this. No, this cannot be allowed to happen. Jean, the Phoenix, begins and does all she can to stop this. She does her best, but it's not enough. This neutron galaxy pulls energy toward it, and the phoenix is nothing but energy. She doesn't have the strength, but maybe she does. 
Aurora Monroe is here to serve as an anchor to reality, giving Jean the chance to finally stop this madness. It would kill Storm, though. Jean can't allow that. But that's not her choice. It's Storm's. Yes, of course, but one won't be enough. If she has another, perhaps none of them have to perish. She reaches her hand to Corsair, asking for his help, but he denies. Major Summers, please! You have to! The fate of reality is at stake! How does she know who he is? That's for later. Right now, with the help of Storm and Corsair, she's able to try this stunt. If it works, she'll see them soon. If not, she tells Corsair to look after Scott. Not only is he the man she loves, but he's also Corsair's son. And so, it begins. She returns to the center of the orb, to the neutron galaxy. She begins to work on the lattice around it, reshaping it, becoming one with its pattern. She can no longer tell if she's Jean or the Phoenix. There's more power in here than any mind or body could hope to stand against. Reality twists, collapses, reforms. She doesn't know if she's trapped inside the orb or grown larger than the solar system. She falters, almost loses it all, but then the spirits of the X-Men are there with her, giving her the power to continue. She sees it, like the pattern of a tree, Xavier at the crown, Colossus at the base, and all the X-Men in between, each having their own place in this. At the heart is the phoenix, and this is the last she sees as she completes her work, and falls to unconsciousness. It's an image she'll take with her until she dies, which may be sooner than she thinks. And, in that moment, on a stargate back in New York, the X-Men reappear. Home! Not a moment too soon, as someone is there to greet them. It's Fire Lord. Scott calls the team to arms, but it's not necessary. Jean is spent. If he wants her life, he can have it. But he doesn't. In the time they've been gone, Xavier has explained things. He has stood guard at the Stargate, awaiting their return. The gate opens a second time, and Lalandra appears. The gate collapses in on itself, as if it were never there. Xavier thought he'd never see her again. Lalandra's brother is gone, driven insane, and though there are some legal things that the Empire must work out, in time she will be called back to lead. But, for now, she is here with him, her love. What the future holds, no one can say. But for now, there is peace. Ladies and gentlemen, that was an amazing story. Uh, me, personally, I think that was one of the best X-Men stories I have ever read. Uh, super high tension, high anxiety, amazing science fiction, uh, especially the last two issues. Those, I think, have to be my favorites, because where every other issue before this seemed like it was kind of a one-off story that just kind of fit under the umbrella of Gene becoming the Phoenix... The last two issues really kind of pulled all that together, all those wild hairs that were out there. Really brought it in, really closed it off, and made for an epic finish that I absolutely loved. 
Granted, uh, some of the parts in in these books, uh, in these stories, were were a little hokey and sev- severely coincidental. Uh, but uh, beyond that, uh, I think an overall grade that I would give for this is a very solid. 8.5 out of 10. I absolutely loved it. I had a lot of fun recording it. I had a lot of fun scripting it too. Uh, this is kind of a different style than I usually do and I really love how this works. So for future stories that are kind of older like early Copper Age and beyond or back like silver and and gold and things like that, uh, I think I'm going to revert kind of to this type of storytelling. I really, really loved it and I hope you guys did too. Uh, With that being said, if you liked what you saw and heard here today, please be sure to hit the subscribe button, light up that notification bell, and like this video so that way you'll know when new episodes from the Codex Station come out. As always, my name is Tim, this is Decoding Panels, and I will see you next time.